listening to Make It, a podcast by Banzai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk Week, and that means I have my good friend and co-founder with me, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello and explain your glasses. <laughs> he's, he's like, explain, explain, you must explain. Uh, hello, what's up, folks? It's good to be here, as always, good to be hanging out with Chris. Yeah, I'm rocking the glasses today, man. Normally, I'm a contacts dude. But I will tell you something, and maybe this is, you know, you know sharing too much, uh, and I'm, lear- I'm learning to share, folks, just so you know, like get it out there, <laughs> put it out there in the world. You know, maybe sh- through sharing, you can help other people. So I've been dealing with like a crazy amount of fatigue lately. Mm. Like for the past couple of weeks, I'm like, I am dying. I'm like, I don't understand why I am so tired. Right. And I'm chugging caffeine more than I have ever chugged before. And it makes no sense. I'm like, I should be doing this. And then one day I'm sitting here with this fatigue and I'm also feeling like my eyes are being strained. Mm-hmm. Right. Like something is happening with my eyes. And this was this week. I'm like, man, my, my eyes are feeling strained. I'm like, maybe it's the fatigue. Right. You're like, you kind of put it all back. I'm just tired. You know, you stay up late a bunch of nights. You're just tired. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to I'm gonna lay down for a second. I'm going to take my contacts out, put my glasses in, right? Put my glasses on. So I do that. And within like five minutes, the fatigue is gone. So there's something going on with the contacts. Like they're straining my eyes so much that it's actually causing fatigue. And I've heard about this before, right? Like you're staring at a computer screen too long. You know, your eyes can get fatigued. You can get headaches, that kind of thing. And yes, I stare at a computer screen all day. That's, that has, that's like a normal thing now. <laughs> <laughs> but doing it without the contacts makes a huge difference. And so now I'm like, all right, I need to abstain for a little while to see if this is legit. And yeah, it's a legit thing. I'm going to have to go to the eye doctor and have, you know, have a conversation. Like what's going on with these contacts? that they're wearing me out. So I'm rocking the glasses, which is always my backup thing. And you know, I wear my glasses at night to give my eyes a rest, but I'm rocking them now, man. Cause yeah, these contacts are, are making me tired, bro. So, uh, these pretzels are making me thirsty. There you go. Oh, your contacts <laughs> are making you, no, I don't have any pretzels guys. Yeah, right. uh, that's just a stupid Seinfeld line. But, um, it's interesting because I've always heard that when you wear glasses or contacts, because your glasses and contacts are doing the work your eyeballs are supposed to be doing, your eyes do become weaker over time. And that could be the cause of this new fatigue is that because you've worn contacts for a number of years now, your eyesight is actually getting slightly worse. So therefore the contacts are, are creating, um, they're not doing their job anymore. It is possible. I got my prescription has remained the same. So that's why I'm kind of curious about what's going on, but I'm gonna have mm-hmm. this conversation with the eye doc, you know, it's like, Hey, what's going on? Because I can't be, 
chugging crazy amounts of caffeine, trying to battle whatever this is. But you know, well, you know, I think the glasses look pretty good, so I'll, I'll yeah. rock them for a little while longer. I went to my doctor like uh, two years ago. I mean, I've been back since. But I went, <laughs> like, it's been a while. I went two years ago, and I remember telling um, one of the assistants that I had blown my adrenal gland. I'd blown my adrenal on caffeine. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm like I've had so much caffeine that like I think I, I, I don't think I can go back to that original feeling. You know, it's like being a heroin addict. I guess. No. Softer. I don't know what that's so, like, like, bro. Much, like. Much, uh, yeah, it's, I shouldn't be comparing someone who beat heroin is going to be like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? <laughs> You're right. Like, but, no, it's not. But, but it's like that first, I didn't drink coffee till I went to college at all because I was an athlete and like athletes don't need the caffeine. We don't drink the coffee. It was like a whole culture thing. And then I went to college and I had a house, a family, two jobs, and I was taking between 12 and 18 credit hours per semester. And I was like, yo, it's going to be caffeine yep. or it's going to be cocaine. <laughs> Interesting. Gonna, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's either going to be black pride or white privilege. <laughs> Which one is it going to be? <laughs> so, nice. So I went with that. Nice. I went with that. I went with that black pride and, and got Very on that good. caffeine. But that first time you have a nice dose of coffee, you feel like you can do anything. It's such a strong, powerful effect if you haven't had it. And you spend the rest of your time drinking coffee if you're drinking it to be awake for that feeling and it never comes back. So it's better for you just to get into really nice pour overs and enjoy the tones and textures and taste. Oh, I think I taste cherry in this, you know, I taste a little cocoa in this one. How about hints of caramel, you know, things like that. Blueberry, you need that because you're not going to get that feeling of, of being like super duper awake again. Speaking of pour over, uh, the drink for tonight, I've drinking some red wine to smooth things out. And tonight is the Arrington Vineyards Red Fox Red. So this is a red wine that is aged in bourbon barrels. Oh, I'm sorry. I got confused. You said Red Fox. And I was like, oh, man. that's <laughs> <laughs> Late great. Yeah, red. That's people, right. people leave him out of the pantheon sometimes. The way that no. they leave Dick Gregory out. I'm, right. I'm, I'm not for it. He was incredible. So yes, for sure. Red Fox Red. This is blend number... 1819 and uh this eats eats it drinks <laughs> it eats and drinks it eats and drinks for you right you don't need food when you have this no it eats it for you and you just have to have flavors this. infused in the wine i think people can are going to be concerned that i'm that i'm spiraling down as an alcoholic i can tell you you might be right uh, no, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. And here's my thing. I'm just glad that your fatigue isn't long COVID. Oh, yeah. Man. I know people I are like uh, suffering with that. I'm really yeah. glad that you're not deeply depressed because oh, there can't be I'll, two of us. That's right. Hey, dude, I will tell to, you, though, when you're fighting that kind of fatigue, just, just this yeah. is like for everybody out there. Like, you know, when you're fighting that kind of fatigue and it's just taking you down and you're drinking coffee to try to fix it. It's not fixing it. It'll take you into a weird headspace. 
It really right? because it's it's frustrating, you know. It it can be maddening at times because you know what that does is it creates a head fog. When you have head fog, you can't concentrate the way you normally would. You don't understand it, mm-hmm. right? You're not you don't realize that you're in a fog, right? Yeah. You just realize yeah. you can't concentrate. <laughs> like you're just like, what is happening? Yeah. And yeah. then for me, I was spending more hours trying to get things done that I would have been able to get done in fewer hours, mm-hmm. right? Because my focus wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So then I was staying up later, <laughs> which was messing me up because now I'm actually tired, right? So, so yeah, but you talk about depression. I mean, it's, it's legit that there's going to be some level of, either stress or anxiety that you feel when you can't tackle the thing that, or you can't pinpoint the thing that's bothering you. So yeah, I wasn't, I've been in a weird headspace, but now I'm like, okay, I figured it out, which is what I always try to do. I'm like, I'm gonna figure this out. I'm a detective myself out of this situation, but now I need the professionals to come in and fix it. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna get it fixed. Heck yeah. Well, we're both problem solvers in, in that way. And you're right. It, there, there's a point where, once you realize you can fall asleep after having a lot of caffeine, for example, you've crossed, you've, you've crossed a threshold. Yep. You've transcended the effect of the caffeine supposed to have. And there does come a point where, you know, I try to limit myself to, I try to limit myself to two 20 ounce cups of coffee a day. So, so these are large cups of coffee but two per day. And I, you know, I'm a guy who wakes up at seven in the morning and works until 10 right at night. So such is the life of an entrepreneur, right? So two big cups of coffee, I try to limit myself to that, but I find that I experience what you experience, which is one, I shouldn't still be tired, but I am. And two, like, I can't focus. I can't get into, um, that creative zone that you want to get into that, that, that space, you know, where, where you're just like knocking things out because random thoughts pop in your head. So you're like hammering away. Um, you're in the zone, you're like knocking things out. And then for some reason you want to pick up your iPad. Why? Yep. (laughs) Exactly. Why? You you got it. Like stay in the, stay in the zone, but it's because the caffeine, the anxiety and stress, they're like, pulling you in different directions and you're not fully conscious of it because you're trying to put yourself in, in flow state. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. I want to mention something with that real quick, just for folks that, you know, for one, our listeners who are always listening, one, we love you, but for them and then for folks who might be listening to the podcast for the first time, and they're like, what are these guys talking about? Right. It's like <laughs> caffeine and fatigue and all this stuff. And I just want to, you know, real quick jump in and just say, like, I know this is an indie film podcast, but one of the things that we are always focused on is the fact that filmmakers are people, mm-hmm. right? This is a human experience that we're going through. And by sharing these types of things, by opening up, by having these types of conversations, you know, maybe there's something in there that will help the humans who are listening so they can be better at doing the creative. Right. So like, we don't have to beat you over the head every minute, every second with, you know, film, 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 every other word, trying to get the SEO up. Right. (laughs) This is, Hey, we're people, we're humans, but we're creatives in this industry, just like you. And who knows, it it could be that 
you know, Chris shows you a wine, right. Or talks about a wine that you've never had before. And it's the greatest thing. And you bring some creatives over to taste this wonderful wine. And then you guys mind meld and there's some awesome stuff that comes out of it. It could be, we're talking about fatigue and you realize you're having too much caffeine or that's not the, the fatigue is caused by something else. All these things are just human elements to what we do. So just a, a quick note to the, the audience, letting them know, like, we're going to talk film. It's what we do. You're going to talk the industry. It's what we do. But we also talk human because that's what we are. Yeah, it's a really important point. Um, I don't think this person would mind if I said their name, but I'm not going to say it anyway. But had a long and, and wonderful conversation with a, a really prolific creative and he's been locked away editing. And I just, I'm so bad at editing. I was like, I, first of all, I, I admire you. Second of all, like, you know, how do you keep yourself from getting too close to the material? You know, he's, and he was saying, yeah, it gets crazy. You're, you're locked away in this room. You're kind of missing out on the world a little bit. It can get to you. And what he does is he schedules walks in the neighborhood. So he'll have a little timer and the timer goes off, gets up, takes a walk around the neighborhood, 20, 30 minutes, clears his head. And when he comes back, he's able to see what he couldn't see before because there you go. Yep. It's a fascinating thing about being human. Like if somebody plays you a song that's uh, where, where the, where someone is singing, for example, off key, if you hear it 10 times, it will no longer sound off key. Right. Your, your ear will make the adjustment to what it's hearing to make it right for you. Um, that's what just intonation is about on the piano, where one of the secrets, if you will, for, for people who don't play piano or aren't musicians, they, they may not know, is that a piano is not in tune. Uh, it's, it's always a couple of cents flat um, or no, a couple of cents sharp, I think. Uh, as you go up the keyboard um, and that's called just intonation and you can go into your digital workstation and then change the, the tone and tune of it. And, and that's how you can kind of make your stuff sound different than anybody else's too. It's like, Oh, mine's actually in true tune hmm. versus just intonation. So that same thing happens in the edit bay where you're editing, you know, your TV show or your, or your short film or your feature film and you just cease to to hear or see <laughs> how hear the, that foley takes you out of the scene or this timing was like you stayed on that like, literally a second or two too long, right? So that just fits into that. Speaking of being human and being who we are, uh, one thing I've noticed being in the indie film community is that I'm often sort of presented with, let's say I'm networking, okay? I'm typically presented with other black creatives, which is awesome. There's not a lot of them. It's awesome. But I do wonder why. Uh, I, I guess I know why. <laughs> right. But, but the other why. thing, the other thing I've found is that it's the same people. So within this last weekend, I was at uh, 
I think two different parties, three different parties, something like that. And, you know, up to maybe the last four days and the same person came up twice. Same black person came up twice that, 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 uh, works that has a name in the industry. Mm-hmm. You, you, you need to be <laughs> you. <laughs> so, and so, so. Yeah. then here's, what's really crazy, Nick. Here's the craziest thing. I, I was like, Oh, I will. Yeah. Hook that up. Hook that up. Hook, you know, that whole thing. Like, let's, let's set it up. Let's like do the warm invite thing. I look at my phone. I have his number. I have his contact in my phone. Yeah. Because you got that yeah. intro before. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so, so, so I already have it and I just haven't, I guess I haven't leveraged it to, you know, everybody's desire and, and, and liking, but. Or maybe you're doing this on purpose. You enjoy yeah. the game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> how many times just counting it you know how many times will i be told about so-and-so about so-and-so right because there is a thing about being like in the movie business and being a minority uh, specifically yeah. being black because i think if you're in la like you're gonna have hispanic folks you know you're gonna have that a lot um maybe not so much everywhere else, but certainly in New York and L- in LA, but, uh, black folks, you know, that there's a small basket, right. And, um, we all get introduced to each other and people have come up to me and you all the time and said, Hey, you know how like rare you guys are? Like you're two black guys, um, that own a film branding and marketing company in, have executive produced three feature films. Like that's, that's remarkable. And I really appreciate it, but the, and I, I appreciate the love. I know you do too, but I get the sense that what's being implied is that we should leverage our blackness a little more. You got it. And that's for me, it's like therein lies the rub. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, it's that idea of the, the card, right. The black card, you know, Mm -hmm. you play the black card, you play the woman card, you play the LGBTQ plus card, you play the whatever card that maybe they put on the table for you and whoever they are is whoever they are. Um, And it's, it's been always been a hard one for me to play because I feel like who I am as a, as a human, as a person should precede all of that. Yeah. Right. So I want to present that first, like this podcast, I'm, I'm not presenting black, right. I'm presenting, you know, value to the independent filmmaking community. And I hope that people are seeing that and they're hearing that. Right. But there might be others who are seeing black first. And if that's being seen in a, let's say a positive light, or even in a light that, Hey, we should help these guys because Maybe they haven't had the opportunities that they should have had or the open the doors open that they should have had and they want to reach out their hands to help because of that. I guess that's okay. It's just hard for me to lead with that. Right. Yeah. And I think that for filmmakers, I wonder sometimes, you know, should they lead with it? Because I'm seeing it, you know, all the time. I'm seeing these grants being made available, these funding sources being made available to 
uh, African-American filmmakers, female filmmakers, Asian film, you know, there's, there's a kind of a, a pocket of, of funding for all of these folks. So in order for you to get access to those funds, well, you have to present yourself as the thing that they're trying to fund. Right. So you gotta, I gotta wave my hand and be like, Hey, you know, black filmmaker over here, you know, it's, and it's like the thing that I don't want to do, but wouldn't I be foolish not to do it if they've got money, right. Sitting there waiting for someone like me. It's just a, it's a crazy thing. And I, I'm of the mind that the grant exists because there's a recognition that people in those groups don't get the opportunities that other groups do get or majority groups get. I think that is why those grants and funds are there. Does it solve the problem? I don't know. I don't know. I guess it's a wait and see. It's been happening a long time. So maybe there's, maybe there should be a referendum on the whole system. Um, it probably has helped quite, quite a bit. Oh yeah. It I, bridges I think, the gap. That's the Cause I think at the end of the day, like here's the question, the question is, is if you get the money to make the thing you want to make, you still kind of have to cross the threshold of those decision makers that aren't, that don't, look like you or potentially aren't the same sex as you or whatever. Right. So right. it's like, you still ran into the same, you still ran into the same blockade. You just, you know, you just took one step forward with, with being able to make what you, what you wanted to make, but ultimately to make something again, you kind of need to, you know, have, you know, carte blanche to that, to that majority potentially. And, you know, I, for me, I know I'm going to face this in a really unique way and, and have already, you know, I have two children who are biracial that present white and I have a one child who's biracial that presents black. And that's right. The one that presented black got all kinds of like offers to top private schools for scholarships and things like that. You know, she still had to test in and, and whatever. Right. Yeah. But there's an assumption that the other two, you know, they're not going to qualify. And then part of me is like, I should just remind these places that those kids, that, that those two kids are biracial. And yeah, you should. Because, because <laughs> broadly speaking, I, I view all of modern society as a game. It's, it's all Dungeons and Dragons. It's all D&D, right? Like it's like or Risk or, you know, some strategy game where the player that plays their move the best kind of wins. But you still also have to have a style of play. I think when people hear me say that, they think that I'm a cynic or, or think that um, I'm a guy who steps on the other guy to move higher up the rung on the ladder but I don't want to play the game that way. Right. Yeah. That's all. And I'm willing to not, you know, get to the top of the ladder if it means that I have to sort of sell my soul to do it, you know, but, um, you know, there's, there's just a, there's just a way to play those cards where, you know, you can win, you know, without feeling dirty at the end of the day, the, the problem with the race card is, is when it's really explicitly used to hurt someone else. 
right? Like I would agree. you're going to, yeah. you're going to get a job uh, or you're going to get favor because you're this minority group and you're going to make sure everyone knows you're my, this minority group. And therefore the other person is going to be shunned, bullied, made fun of, dunked on, asked out, whatever. You know, right. that's, that's a tough one. You know, the other card too, education card. If you graduate from an Ivy league school or you go to Harvard business or IE or, or Wharton, the question is, do you play the, do you play the Harvard card? Cause I've, I've, I've yes. met a few Harvard MBAs <laughs> and I tell you what, that MBA came in the room before they did. Right. So that, it, so that's a great point, right? Because there's other cards that are played every day. Yeah. They're played every day. So, and they're played for advantage, right? Yeah. Some level of advantage. And I think that, so again, for me, I don't lead with it, but I think that when someone is offering something, right? Like one of these grants or, you know, some sort of funding or access, whatever it is. And it's because of that card. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you got to go ahead and play it. You know, I yeah. think they already recognize it. So maybe you don't have to actually play it. Right. But, right, some, right. you know, sometimes you got to be in that conversation and then just make sure that the the talent, the value and all that stuff is there to support it. Right. I think if you play the card just because you got the card, that's not enough. Right. That That's where I think it actually hurts yeah. people. It hurts you. It hurts other people who are like you. Right. And then it hurts the people who are trying to help you. So yeah, you definitely, if you're going to play the card, make sure that you've got the talent to back everything up. Yeah. The, the tough thing about playing the card in groups is that it's so transparent. You know, if you're in an interview or you're in a group setting or you're in a collaboration on a film, let's say, and you lead a sentence with as a black man or as a black woman or as a whatever, I think there's a moment there where your next sentence better be something of great value. It better bring, yeah. it better bring some tangible value to the table, right? Like maybe you have a story where the black character is being written incorrectly. Then I think you can say you play that card. You say, right. so as a yep, black I guy, you. I grew up in this community. I gotta say that uh, you know we just didn't. That just that's not accurate, right? right. That's cool, but um, to say it in a different context, to to provide gain or to say, I, you know, you, you better be careful how you deal with me, talk with me because I'm highly aware that I'm a minority group. Right. There you go. Right. It just puts everybody on edge, puts them back on their heels. You won't get your best creative out of it. You know, no matter what, Yep, I and, agree. you know, we spoke about this before too. It's, it's this idea of like appropriation in film and in story I think playing the card gets in the way of, of that too, a little bit. Like I, you know, if you're, if you're an Asian American, can you, you know, write a, a white story? Yeah. If you're a white person, can you write an Asian story? Feels like you got to be careful, but really Mm. at the end of the day, you want to be able to write whatever you want to write creatively whatever's on your mind, as long as it's true to the story and true to you. The the whole thing about the creative is, is it true? 
That's the whole thing. And you know it right away when you see it. Like when you watch something and a character says something, you're like, nah, I don't think somebody, I don't think somebody from France would say that, or that wouldn't have came out of this character's mouth because he's a cold stone killer. Like what's like, what's happening? Like, is this, you know, so we try to connect the dots, your brain, just like I talked about before with the music and like finding the correcting the pitch, even though it's off pitch. So you can listen to it. Your brain does that with story. It's trying to just connect the dots in advance so that everything makes sense. And when you violate that for some external reason, your creative is, you know, definitely going to suffer. Um, I saw something this week that I thought was absolutely fascinating. And it speaks to where we are going. No, not where we're going, where we're at. Yes, where we are right now. (laughs) But I don't think people know we're there because it's so subtle. It's so subtle. If you've ever been on Twitter for a while, for example, you always have to like think twice or check people's profile or how many tweets and followers they have. It's not for clout. It's to make sure you're not getting into a debate with a bot. Because we already know, if you're on Twitter for a long time, you already know how good the AI is and how good these bots are at sounding human and having real-looking profile pics, whatever it may be. And I think there's a lot of AI just beneath the surface actually sort of dictating how we use services, how we um, how certain software works, etc., so, for example, every self-driving car is based on AI uh, data being fed to it in the in the in the billions of of, of sort of data pieces. Um, pieces is probably the wrong terminology, but <laughs> you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I got you. So, enter a company named uh, Kairos, just like the city. So, K A I R. OS. And I read some of their results from Legendary Pictures, who's one of their clients. And I'm sure anyone listening to this has watched a Legendary film. Well, what Legendary has been doing is using Kairos to track the facial expressions of the audience. And Kairos is able, through their AI engine, to track up to 500 different movements of a person's face in the audience per minute. Per minute. And they're, 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 yes, their pricing model is actually movements per minute. So I don't think it's very cheap, right? <laughs> if you, if right. you, I think it's a couple of hundred bucks per basically, depending on what level, you can have a hundred movements, I think 250 movements or 500 movements. Right. And, each one has its own price range, and that's per minute. And your movie's 90 minutes long, let's say. Maybe it's longer. And that, that adds up. But what you're going to have is absolute definitive information on where your story lags, where it's emotionally gripping, where everybody laughed, where everybody was sad, what people didn't like. Because this AI can pick up micro-expressions. They can tell when you were offended. 
Now, I don't know what the privacy is around this, Nick. Uh, well, and I don't know if anyone that was watching these legendary movies that showed up in this report knew this was happening. I'm sure they weren't individualized by name. So maybe there is, it's not a huge deal privacy wise, but one, I'd be long on legendary making great movies because they, you know, I wouldn't be shorting them because they have an incredible advantage over anyone doing it the old school way. Like we did with our films several years ago, which was, screen it a bunch of times and use a Google form to have people fill out a survey and, and then decide whether or not you're going to take their, like you aggregate the number one or number two comment and then decide, are you going to really cut those scenes or not or make changes? Yeah. It's a, it's a crazy thing, you know, because you know, that's, that's data for you right there. I mean, yeah. it's, you can start with the AI and like the AI is so cool. It's just the data. You know, because you can imagine it's like having a heart rate monitor on all of those people, mm-hmm. right? That's what the data is going to show you. It's going to show you fluctuations, right, in emotion, Yeah, which is a crazy thing. I mean, just so you know, they do that already in, like you said, that like the Twitter space, mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, wherever lots of people in the social world commune and communicate. Uh, basically they do, you know, this, uh, I guess it's sensitivity or sentiment. That's what it is. Sentiment analysis. Mm. And that's what they're doing. They can tell by the way that you speak, how you feel, right? So the bot understands not your facial expression, but how you text, right? Even in 140 characters, right? Even in that little bit of time or that little bit of space, they can do a sentiment analysis to know how you feel about a product, how you feel about a brand, how do you feel about a person that exists. This is just another extension of sentiment analysis. I know that this type of analysis has been done for brands who are putting out new products like, uh, like shoes, for example, Yeah. Uh, before we had the capability of using cameras to identify mm-hmm. those facial expressions, they actually had people putting on glasses yeah. Right. And those glasses would be able to detect movements of the eye that suggested where, how a person felt about a product like a shoe. Yeah. Right. So again, it's on a smaller scale because it's individualized by the people wearing the glasses, but yeah, this has gotten to a point where now you can do it with a single camera, right. That can pick up on all of these faces and aggregate all that data and then tell you how they felt and not only how they felt as a group, but that AI you're talking about is so good. It can tell you in the crowd which of these people and which percentage were women. Yeah. Right. Which percentage were men? Which ones do we believe were between the age range of 18 and 25 versus, you know, 34 and 52? I mean, it's, it's crazy how accurate these things yeah. have become and then how much information, how much data they can give back. Uh, to those, you know, those filmmakers or those organizations. And the more data they get, more data they get, the better they get. They'll be able to predict. One would hope. They'll they'll, they'll be able to predict like, oh, throw out the girl and guy in row F, seat nine and 10. They were fighting before the movie and are breaking up. 
<laughs> right. So they're going to throw off our numbers. Right. So their readings yeah. are invalid. Right. So it's going to be able to invalidate the reading. And it's funny because they're getting closer and closer to the marking Holy Grail they're looking for. And when I was in, uh, I'm a, in, in college for marketing, um, in one of my classes, I watched a documentary they showed that talked about what the Holy Grail for a marketer is, which is to know what a 17-year-old is going to do next and think next. Right. And we're getting closer and closer to that. When I was actually 16, I worked in a mall for one of those survey companies, and I would offer you 20 bucks to come and spend some time with me, take a survey around new products. And I remember one of the products was uh, Mountain Dew. No, Mellow Yellow. Okay. And they were trying to change their brand to be more competitive with Mountain Dew. So before Mellow Yellow was kind of like, you know, it was, it was, it was like a stoner drink. And then, you know, for, you know, guys that are laid back, gals that are laid back, they wanted to be more about skateboarders and X games and things like that. And the thing I knew that the viewer didn't know is that there were subliminal messages flashing faster than you could see them, but not too fast that your brain couldn't absorb it Right throughout the entire commercial. And then I would ask them later, how did the commercial make you feel? And then what they tried to figure out is, is would you write down the words that you saw that you didn't see that your brain saw, but you didn't see on the form as descriptors of the, of the commercial. I never saw the aggregated data behind that. I never okay. saw like the end result if the subliminal messaging worked or didn't work. I know for the handful of people I worked with on that, they had about a 50% hit rate where they wrote down literally the word that was subliminally put in the commercial onto the, onto the survey form. And we've gone from there to, like you say, phones, glasses, now this. And I think you're going to have Apple glasses and Google glasses come out and the, the there there is going to be the ads they run into your brain once you <laughs> right. decide to wear their glasses all the time. Well, I, um, I got to give you and, one real quick. When you talk about so, AI yeah. and how it's going to be influencing or continuing to influence us and some of the things we have to be wary of. So um, I recently, a family member just sent me some photos mm. and these photos were uh, run through new profile pick. Right. So this is this is new that? thing that's out, out there where you can take one of your photos and you send it through this app, new profile pic, and it basically creates a cartoon version. Okay. Right. Or not, not a cartoon. I've seen some of those. It is an oil painting version of the photo. And these things are wonderful. They're 100% AI based. Okay. 100% AI based. And they're great. I mean, this is one of those where it's like, man, you guys keep coming up with these apps that. <laughs> are competing with the human artists, right? Or, and it's, it looks really good anyway. So I see this and everyone thinks it's the greatest thing. Like, look how awesome this is, right? I mean, I've, I've cartoonized some photos before and I think it's really cool. It's, it's, it's a, you know, pretty nice thing to see. It's so clean. It's so crisp. It's awesome. Right. And everyone else around me is like, this is, this is great. And this is going to be my new profile pic, right? It's the whole idea. And I'm over here like, Hmm. No, there's something nefarious about this. <laughs> You're right. Like there's something to, I don't know what it is yet, but there's something there. It's like when they did the aging thing, right? They were yeah. just stealing your photos. Right. Yeah. So I'm sitting here like, well, what is it? And I figured it out. 
So you just talked about how about the aging thing on Snapchat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So do you remember? So basically, you just mentioned like when you're on Twitter, there's all these bots. You don't know if you're talking to a human. You don't talk. Yeah. You don't know if you're talking to a bot. Well, if you change your profile pic to this rendering, right? This AI rendering, which is no longer your human face. Well, then how easy is it for so many other accounts to now have an oil painting face that may or may not be of a human? Right. Right. So you may be interacting with an account that you think just use new profile pic to change their image. No, what you're looking at could be just a random AI generated person. Right. And that account is actually a bot. Yeah. Right. So the more you dehumanize the experience on social by using these types of things, the more you invite the fiction that is AI into your world. Same thing with Snapchat, like all those little things where you can change your face and you can highlight and you can do all these things. You're now blurring the lines between reality and this fiction. So if I present to you, you know, a face of someone, let's say it's a woman and you're like, oh, she's just using a filter. That's why she looks so good, right? That's why she's flawless. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a bot, right? It's no, this is not a human, but you can't tell, yeah. right? Because we keep blurring those lines between reality and fiction. And when I saw this new profile pic thing, I was like, oh, that's perfect. Yeah. You know, so now the people who created this can work with their partners who are going to create all these fake accounts that can leverage AI to influence you on the you know social media platform of your choice. And you think you're talking to a real person. Oh, such a genius. Yeah. <laughs> Two things on that. One, I've mentioned this website before, but it's been a while. I encourage everyone to go out to the website, this person does not exist.com, or maybe it's org, but it's this person does not exist.com or org. And just wait and just sort of scroll through the photos and just have your mind blown. The other thing is there's a book, and I want to say it's by Milan Kundera, uh, Kundera, and it's called Life is Elsewhere. And I think it speaks to the human condition of wanting to be someone else. Always. Life is always better outside of your actual life. And it's a beautiful story. I really enjoy it. It's one of my favorite books of all time. And uh, it, it speaks to that. And I remember when MySpace, uh, what's up, Tom? Uh, I remember <laughs> when MySpace came out and I immediately understood the gravitas of it because it was like the guy I, I knew who he was in real life. And then when I saw his online profile, so this is pre AI, pre all this stuff, he was able to be someone else. He was able, what I recognized in that moment is, Oh, this online profile is the person he wanted to be. It's who he wished he would have become or is aspiring to be still. And it's working towards that. Mm -hmm. Because none of the things were true. So like college graduate, he didn't go to college. <laughs> Teddy made X amount of dollars a year. He made no dollars a year. Uh, <laughs> like, he said proud father. No. Like, deadbeat dad, actually. Like, not taking care of his kids. Like, which, by the way, I, 
I always love when a girl say, he's a good dad. He takes care of his kids. I'm like, he's supposed to. <laughs> he's supposed to. Yeah. Foundational. Talk about. Like, step one. No praise. Ragging on that man. Right. <laughs> taking care of his kids. His kids. <laughs> Underline. Underscore. Italicized. Come on now. Come on now. All yeah. right. So we, we need to. We need to take on some listener questions, Nick. It's time for listener <laughs> questions. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Welcome to our new segment. <laughs> there it is. It's true. It's oh, true. Listener, We're trying to, trying to knock them out. Yeah. We have a couple here. Uh, this is an interesting one. Okay. So the question is, we have a couple of scheduled meetings with streaming services execs. So executives yep. at streaming services. What should we prepare or bring with us to these meetings? Nick, would you like to dive in on this first? Yeah, I can, I can jump in. Um, you know, I'd, I'd say one of the first things that actually comes to my mind is, you know, at a minimum, at a minimum electronic press kit, EPK. And it doesn't necessarily have to, it's not like a, have to be a multi-page thing. It could be a one pager. Um, but I think, you know, this is actually one of the things that you had mentioned to me about, you know, when you're going out to, to do a pitch and we've been on pitch panels before, we'll be on more in the future. You want to make a statement and you want them to leave there, the executives remembering you. Mm-hmm. And I know that in the, in the panels that we've been in, you know, we're kind of waiting for the filmmakers to give us something. Yep. Right. Because at some point, like if you have five, 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 people, you're going to see, I have to be able to recall you later. Right. Cause I'm mm-hmm. probably not making a decision right then and there, depending on the number of people and the, the, uh, the environment that we're in. So I need something, I need something to reference. And I think for me, you know, an electronic press kit is usually something that you might have, you know, online, right? Again, it's electronic, but if you have basically a printed version of this and it's just like a single page that has the website, has access to other things, I think for me, that's one of the things you have to bring. And when we talk about the press kit, it's like, you know, your bio, you know, who are you as a filmmaker? It's not just about the film that you're making, but who are you and why should we care about you and your journey and what you can bring? Because as a, you know, as an executive, you know that you're not getting in business just with that film, but you're getting in business with that filmmaker. So having a bio that's compelling, having photos, right, that actually are good photos of you so that I have a a good impression, you know, later on access to any projects that you have. So if you have a website that, you know, you can go to later to see your work. I think these are some of the things that are just, oh, and I was going to say social, anything that you have that's on social that's meaningful, uh, anything that you have out there where someone has done, you have any press, if you have any good press on yourself, on any previous products that you've done, that's very important to have and to bring to the table to market you to those executives. So I would say at a minimum, you got to have something that you leave them with outside of whatever your actual presentation is that you're going to provide to those executives. Yeah. I was just going to say that um, what you're talking about is kind of what happens after the pitch. And so I'd love just to address the pitch. And by the way, I will be on the pitching and funding panel at Swift summit on May 21st in Nashville, Tennessee. You can go to WIFT. So that's women in film and television Nashville. So WIFTNashville.org. 
to purchase tickets to Swift Summit. It's incredible, especially if you're a female filmmaker. You do not want to miss it. The panels are going to be incredible. There's so many wonderful people uh, coming this year. And it's like, I think one of the top values, uh, non-festival values you could you could purchase or you could attend. Uh, but in terms of pitching in and of itself, the main thing is remember that it's a creative meeting, but it's a professional meeting. Like you're meeting people who can change your life and they're not like you, right? You could be Lenny Kravitz and that makes it okay for you to not wear a shirt to the meeting, (laughs) but they're going to be wearing shirts and they're going to be different types of people. And you need to recognize and sort of honor that if that's not too strong of a word. So yes, that means bringing your collateral with you, but it also means making sure that you have your log line ready. You have your story Bible. If it's a TV show, making sure you have a prospectus that's printed out with the first 10 pages, making sure you've rehearsed your pitch so that it's smooth because at the end of the day, you're, you're having a meeting. So, there will be a chance just to talk amongst them and get to know them. It's, it's really surprising how often you tighten up in that moment and you forget to be a human being. These folks just want to see a person that they can buy into that seems relatable, that they know they can work with for a number of years. Cause that's really what's at stake. You're asking the streamer to marry you. And I know that when we've been pitched, Nick, it's like, okay, I'm looking for reasons to disqualify you. Right. Because you're asking me to marry you. And I might find out after we move in together that, you know, you don't shower nightly. (laughs) And then that's too late. I'm already committed to you. Right. Yeah. So remember to be professional, be yourself you know, be a real human being that, that doesn't present a ton of risk and, and, and make sure your, your pitch is is polished. The last thing I'll say about that polished part, just to be more specific is, you know, anytime I've had to present to anyone, I wanted to make sure I, I included something that would make me unforgettable without being weird. Cause you can be unforgettable, but be a laughing stock. Right. You yep. have to bring something magical to the table. There has to be a wow moment. You can literally do a magic trick in your pitch if you need to, if that's, if that relates to your story right. or your that's documentary or your show or whatever it is. But, these are human beings you're pitching to and they want to be wowed. They want to, they want to leave that meeting saying that was something I did not know, or that was something I've never seen before. That's a, a, to me, figuring that out along with your pitch critical. And if you bring everybody donuts, <laughs> you're not going <laughs> to, no one's going to hate you. you know, right. Depending yeah. on where you're at, right? Like know your audience, but, but at the same time, if you bring everybody coffee and donuts, you're you're not going to miss. Or if you cater lunch, everybody's they'll remember you for that alone. Like, oh, let's take another meeting with them. At least we know we're going to eat. 
You really eat. Yeah. Right. All right. Yeah. Well, I was, I was gonna, let me let me drop let me drop one more yeah, on the pitch real quick. Um, you know, it's funny when you when they talk about this, it's it's easy to get into the space of also like what you shouldn't do. Yeah. Right. Well, don't do this when you go there. But they ask like what to bring to the table. And I would say one of the things you need to make sure that you bring is evidence of partnership. And what I mean by that is, is that you can't come there basically with your hands out, right? Ex- hoping or expecting or wanting them to just give everything to you, yeah, right? Because like you said, it's, it's a bit of a marriage. It's a relationship and that goes both ways. Yep. So you need to be able to present to them how you're going to help them be successful. Exactly. exactly. So whatever that looks like, whether that's, you know, Hey, I'm going to bring this type of artist, you know, whether it's an actor or director or writer or, you know, intellectual property, or I have a musical selection or a score, whatever that is, that's unique. And that's popular, right. Whether that's a social media influencer that's associated with it. Maybe that's organizations that you've become uh, associated with that are going to sponsor, you know, you in some way, you know, whether you have some other platform that's going to help get your, uh, your film out there in the world and get people you know, noticing it, whether again, you have an EPK that's very strong, you know, you've got a press kit and a marketing strategy and a branding approach. These types of things give the executive confidence that you'll do your part, right? That you will be part of this relationship and that you'll help them be successful because you want to help yourself. So I would say that's a big one. Just bring, bring evidence of the partnership and that you're going to help them be successful. You absolutely nailed it. And it doesn't matter what industry, when I was in music, I used to think to myself, this person just wants advance money and just wants to be signed and just, just, just once, 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 once they have yet to show me a story in our, about how we're going to make our money back. Right. Where's the ROI story? Same yep. in film, same in books. Like when you go to publish your book, they want to know how you're going to market it. Where are you going to go? Are you willing to travel? Do you have anything that's going to be, you know, encumber you? Like, like what, like what, what's going to happen where we get our money back? Right. Like this is a business. So make sure you come with your ROI story. All yep. right. Second question here is, children's programming do you think there is a calling for new ideas this time in our world i guess considering that everything is ip they're wondering can you have a new idea well of course you can have a new idea that's right yeah of course you can have a new idea especially in children's programming because kids are so young they haven't seen a lot of things and they haven't been exposed to a lot of things and they're more open to a new idea, right? Like the IP is, is to be risk averse financially for an executive and to give certain audiences that are adults, something they already know and are comfortable with something they basically already agreed to. It's like, it's like when you're in a good negotiation, it's really important to repeat back to the person you're talking to things they've already said. Because it's very human to not want to contradict yourself, to not want to be a hypocrite. It's like, right. so let me get this straight. You love the X-Men, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. I heard you say you love the X-Men. Yeah, yeah, I said that. Yeah, I said that. Okay, okay. Now, what happens if I put Logan 
What happens if I put Wolverine in the next uh, uh, Doctor Strange movie? What happens if I do that? Okay, okay. Would, right. that, would that please you? <laughs> right. Well, it, it's hard for them to say no because they just said they liked the X-Men. So that's what you, that's kind of, you know, you know the idea around IP, but around creating something new for kids, it can literally be anything. Now, I should say this. You can also create something new with the IP. Exactly. Yep, you got so, it. So there's a way to make your version of anything. I mean, we've had, what, 10 different styles of Batman at this point, right? And right. Um, Todd Phillips' version of the Joker is completely different from all the other DC films. But it had to be or it wouldn't have worked. And it made a billion dollars. <laughs> I cannot believe that movie. Shout out to Todd Phillips, man. Shout out to Joaquin Phoenix. Like, oh yeah, a, a Billy yeah. on that movie. Yeah, right. Like that. That's. And I'm not saying that movie in like some derogatory way. Like that movie. I'm saying it was brilliant. But it did. But it wasn't Michael Bay. Right. It wasn't yeah. Fast and the Furious. I mean, it was a think piece. Right. Yep. And it had some pretty somber. Had, yeah. It had some pretty somber yep. moments in it. So, yeah, I, I think you can have your own take on it, Nick. Yeah. And, I, and I'll offer it, too. So the IP game. So, you know, you might have some people who are listening who are like, well, you know, you're still talking about IP. And, you know, I can't make the next Batman movie because that's Batman and DC owns that. And I can't get at that. I'm like, well, how about. You know, we've heard this uh, was it A.W. Scott. Right. He said, you know, do the same thing, but different. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I have to admit, when Avatar came out, okay, visually <laughs> amazing. All right, yeah. it was super stunning. I mean, was, and there was an IMAX, right? I think IMAX was like relatively new at the time. It was a, an amazing feat. Yeah, hundred percent in three D. Yes, I'll give it that. Okay, but at the same time, I was a little salty. Yeah, because. I enjoyed Pocahontas. Yeah, I was going to say it was Pocahontas. <laughs> okay, I enjoyed Pocahontas. So, like, I'm like, y'all just stole Pocahontas. That's not cool. You yeah. know, come on now. We're all the colors of the wind. You yeah. know, that's the, <laughs> so, and the same thing now. And, and, you know, my kids don't understand it, but, you know, they want to watch Wish Dragon. Mm. I'm like, you talking about Aladdin? it's the same movie so but the thing is is that it's the same i it's the same thing but it's a new idea yeah right they have and the reason why you can do that is because it's you know they're just for me it's like psychological notes right these films are able to you know sing or play those psychological notes that mean something to people. It makes them feel a certain way. So you can have a new idea that still uses and plays the same notes, yep. right? You just do it in a different pattern, a different configuration, right? And I think that's what you can do. And I think that's what people should do. You know, this is one of the things we've talked about before about filmmakers trying to do something that's totally off the wall, right? I'm going to do something totally different. I'm going to change it up. I was like, you you're doing something so different that it actually goes against human psychology. That's what these films are about. They're about understanding psychology, right? And being able to hit people a certain way because it's basic human psychology, you know? So if you go away from that, it could be a problem. 
Yeah. And, and it's exactly right. And I should just mention too, that there's so many sources for ideas that no one's heard of. Like maybe you don't have to, you know, reformulate and reconstruct and recontextualize Pocahontas or Aladdin. Like we talked about books. You can read so many books. When I was songwriting to practice songwriting, I would literally go to Fido this coffee shop Fido and I would pull newspapers and I would read headlines and I would say, okay, there's the headline. Let's write a song about this yeah. headline. And that's somebody else's work that I would just write the song and name it what the headline was or some, something close to it and write the whole song around it. And it was great practice for me to do that and to sort of work that muscle Channel 101, where Savan uh, uh, and Sarah Silverman and Jimmy Kimmel and Dan Harmon all cut their teeth. There's a million sitcom ideas <laughs> and <right>. movie <laughs> ideas on that platform. It just sits there at channel101.com, I believe. It's like yep. It just sits there waiting for somebody to do something with this crazy stuff. So you um, articles, like New York Times articles, WAPO articles. Uh, LA Times articles. I mean, obviously any place, right? Those stories are turned into movies on a regular basis. That's right. On yep. a regular, so and the they can be kind of everywhere. The optioning ability is everywhere and you don't just have to play uh, the big boys game in that. You got it. You got it. That's it. All right. Well, this is good, man. Think this we is good get as here, always. Man. Yeah, we do, bro. You know, it's like, <laughs> You know, it's, it's time to get some rest and, you know, get ready for whatever the next thing is that we're going to be working on, the next thing that we're going to be doing. So, but this was great. As yeah, always. absolutely. Uh, you're going to work on, you know, better contacts. I'm going to work on emptying this bottle of wine. There you go. No, I'm kidding. I, 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 think, I think I'm going to cork this thing, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but, but no, this is great. Yeah. We'll save uh, a couple more listener questions for the next time we talk and and if you're listening uh, please keep them coming we love these questions we love to answer them let us know if we are getting it right in your mind and if you have questions you want to amend to these questions at all or, or even amend to our answers and come with new questions that would be fantastic we're, we're totally open to it you can do that at contact at bonsai.film you can find everything you need to know about uh, bonsai at www.bonsai.film by the way that's right uh, including signing up for our newsletter becoming a true fan and supporting this podcast and just a million other things blog posts you name it and you can reach out to me on twitter at flaming your heart or just search for christopher barkley on twitter you can reach out to nick at nick at bonsai.film and we'll be here for you so until next time Take care of yourself if you're out there. Make something great for the world like we know you can and you're capable of. And with that, Nick, can you leave us with the credo? Yes, sir. I feel making friends and family out there. Be better. Be creative. Be engaged. And thank you for listening. Nick, talk to you soon. Yes, sir. We'll do it again. All right, brother. Be good. All right, man. Yeah, you too. Take it easy. Peace. Peace. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www. 
www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Banzai Creative and the show will pop right up. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.banzai.film and click Contribute. Contributions start at only $5 monthly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film and you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart. That's F-L-A-M-E-I-N-U-R-H-E-A-R-T. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Services to explore a variety of offerings from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.